Let's pray together. Father, thank you that that is true. Thank you that Jesus could cry out from the cross, it is finished. And the debt of our sin, as infinite as it was, was paid in full and forever, never to be held against us again or remembered. So thank you for that miracle of your mercy that you would rescue sinners like us Bring us new life from the dead. Give us a new reason for living now and a new destiny forever in heaven of giving you the honor that is due you. So we thank you for the reality of our salvation and that you have made it real in our lives. Many of us here, many maybe don't know you this morning, but we some. And so we pray that you would do that work of grace in their hearts, the miracle of regeneration, of giving new life to the spiritually dead. Lord, that you would give them a taste of your mercy. Father, as we open your word now, I pray for your grace to enable me to speak and for all of us to hear what your word says, not only to understand it, but that our hearts would be uh, desirous of following what you tell us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Unlike physical growth in young, healthy kids, spiritual growth doesn't just happen by itself in the lives of believers Knowing Christ does not necessarily mean growing in Christ. Our text for today reminds us about the goal of growth and how we pursue that goal. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at the first three verses And you'll notice that verse 1, the first word, is therefore or so, which tells us that what comes next is connected to what was said before. It's an author's way of saying, here's some appropriate responses to the realities you've just been reading about. And so the Apostle Peter is pointing us back to the truth that we've been born again through the word. We looked at that last week at the end of chapter 1. And now he's giving us two intended outcomes that flow from that miraculous experience. So first, in light of the fact that you've been born again into God's family, and that miracle has produced a love for others in God's family, get rid of anything that would be harmful in your relationships with one another. So verse 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So Peter lists five examples of some things that need to go. He says, first of all, put away or lay aside all malice. Malice is a desire to cause pain or distress to another person. It's a desire to hurt 
someone in some way. And Peter says, don't let any malice have any place in your heart. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4.31. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Second, Peter says, put aside or lay aside all deceit. So all dishonesty, all falsehood is out of place. And again, in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about that as well. Ephesians 4.22, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, because that's true, you've experienced that, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Third word, to put aside or put away all hypocrisy, just pretending to be something you're not, projecting something on the outside that's not really true on the inside. And um, I just thought of Matthew 15 where Jesus says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So it's possible to give the impression, I'm spiritual, I'm worshiping, I'm singing these songs this morning, but if your heart's far from God this morning, that's hypocrisy. Peter says that needs to go. And he says, put aside or put away envy, which is a painful and often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else joined with the desire to possess that same advantage. Did you know Proverbs 14.30 says, envy makes the bones rot? So if the Surgeon General announced that research now shows caffeine causes your bones to rot. And this is just made up, okay? Because <laughs> Wouldn't you think twice before you take that cup of coffee or that can of pop? If you cared about your physical health and you don't want your bones to rot, you would give up caffeine. And here is our creator telling us envy is not only harmful in your relationships with one another, it's harmful to your own health and well-being, therefore, give it up. There's just no place for it. And last, put aside or put away all slander. Slander is a desire to harm another person's reputation with words that misrepresent the facts. So just this week, a brother shared with me about a professing believer who just trashed him on Facebook with some untrue statements. So Peter assumes that we've been born again through the word of God, and he assumes that experiencing that miracle has produced a love for those in the family of God, and he also assumes that things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander are still real possibilities in the lives of believers. Isn't that interesting? Those ugly things don't automatically go away just because we've been born again. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have to write verse 1. And so we are called to put them away by the enabling grace of God. A second application of the truth that we've been born again through the word is to desire the word so that we may grow. So look at verse 2 in 1 Peter 2. 
like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So here's a comparison, like newborn babies, and then a command, long for the milk of the word, and then the goal, that you may grow. So it's three parts of that verse. We're going to start with the goal of spiritual growth. Peter ends his second letter with a similar call to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 or 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. What's the remedy for that? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's a command. Grow. Don't just coast, grow. Some other New Testament texts express this goal as well. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So Paul's saying the goal is being mature, as mature as Christ, not children anymore, but growing up. Or Philippians 3, next book over in your New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was in his 60s when he wrote that. He had known Christ for at least 30 years, but he's not just drifting along. He's relentlessly pursuing more and more of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, next book over. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him, Jesus admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within us. So that complete or perfect means full-grown or mature. Paul says, that's what I do. And that's what I spend all my energy trying to do is that everybody become mature in Christ. 
not just a certain elite group, not just the advanced Christians or the whatever. It's just, I want everybody to reach this maturity. And one last one is Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Beginning at verse 11. Or excuse me, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. And these verses remind us that just a certain amount of time doesn't guarantee progress in maturity. These believers had known Christ long enough to be able to teach others the basics of the Christian life. But instead, they still need to go over the basics themselves. It'd be like, let's say, a, an eight-year-old saying, I still need help on the ABCs. Well, an eight-year-old should be teaching their younger siblings the ABCs. And so here's believers that have been Christians long enough, a few years at least, they ought to be able to go over the basics with younger believers. And he says, you still have to go over the Christianity 101. And he calls them out for that. It's not, and that's okay. Who am I to judge? He's saying, come on, press on to maturity, grow up. So, assuming those texts are enough to convince us that God intends his children to grow, how do we pursue that goal? And verse 2 tells us that the God-given means of spiritual growth is God's word. The same word that creates spiritual life, sustains spiritual life, and causes spiritual growth. But notice, Peter doesn't just encourage us to read our Bibles. He doesn't just urge us to listen to the scriptures being taught, as important as both of those things are. He calls us to long for the word. Long means have a strong desire for the word. How strong? Well, Peter says it should be as strong as a newborn baby longs for milk. And so some of you were already in Sunday school when we did this, but I asked the moms in the class to help us understand Peter's illustration better than we might otherwise. And here are some of the things that the moms said about Newborn babies and their desire for milk. First, it's an intense desire. Newborn babies don't see milk as just optional. They are very serious about it. They have strong, undeniable cravings. And so, Psalm 119, you don't have to turn to some of these extra ones, but write it down at least. Psalm 119, verse 131, David says, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. So David's modeling that kind of intense desire. I long 
for God's word. Second, regular intake. Newborn babies don't just want milk occasionally. They desire milk every few hours, day and night. And they're not willing to go very long without it. So Psalm 1 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Law doesn't just mean the legal stuff, but the instruction of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So it's kind of like a newborn baby at that point. Day and night. Some of you know that very firsthand right now. Third, discontent without it. Babies have a way of letting you know they're hungry. And at that point, a toy or a pacifier or anything else will not satisfy them. One mom said, quote, Babies act like their life depends on their next feeding. Which is true. It's literally true. Psalm 119 verse 116 says, Sustain me according to your word that I may live. Isn't that interesting? That's how important it is to be in this book. It's your life. Which is actually what Deuteronomy says. This word I'm writing to you is not just a trifle or a, a small thing. It is your life. Or Jesus, Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, you can't live without the Bible any more than you can live without food. And last, babies are very content when they finally get milk. They're so happy and content and peaceful when the milk arrives. And I thought of Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. So Peter says, look at how eagerly and frequently little newborn babies desire milk. And that is a picture of the kind of desire we are to have for the word of God. We have been born again through the word and we are nourished by the word. But you might be asking, what if I don't have that kind of desire? What if I don't always feel like reading my Bible? What if I'm not very motivated? And just true confession, we've all been there. Right? And if you, if you haven't, please talk to me. Every believer has some days where their first inclination and thought is not, oh, I just can't wait to get my Bible. It's, I got to see my newsfeed or see my whatever or lots of other things. So the desire is not always there. And it's encouraging to know that David, who God himself calls a man after his own heart, sometimes lacked a strong desire for God's word. Did you know that? Look at Psalm 119, verse 36. Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain or to covetousness. 
To incline means to influence the heart so that it prefers one course of action over another. And so David is acknowledging my inclination for God's word right now is not very strong. And I do feel some inclinations toward coveting, toward gain. So he's got this battle going on in his heart. The desires for God's words are down here. The desire for other things is up here. And so what does he do? He doesn't just say, well, I guess I won't read the Bible today because I don't feel a strong desire, which is what some of us do. And he doesn't just gut it out out of sheer willpower because it's his duty to do it, which is also what some of us do. He prays. He prays, incline my heart to your testimonies. In other words, Lord, work in my heart in such a way that I desire your word more than I desire other things. Give me the want to, to be in your word and make that desire stronger than all the other competing desires that I have right now. And as believers, we can fill that in even more with a text like Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, including grow in Christ. Desire the word so you can grow. That's the will. I will have this desire to grow. Oh, so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God at work in you to will, give you the desire, give you the inclination, and to do his good pleasure. So the will is, I want to grow. I want to be in the word. And the do is I actually make the kinds of choices in how I use my time to make sure I'm taking in God's word. So it's both. Good intentions without action doesn't do anything. So pray for the desire. Lord, give me the want to. And follow up that with give me the ability to actually change my schedule so I'm building in time for your word, which I'm neglecting it at this point. Enable me to follow 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Well, what Peter has said about putting away harmful things and pursuing spiritual growth through the word is based on a condition. Verse 3 says, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, or if you have tasted the Lord is good or gracious. And notice he says, if you have tasted Not just if you've heard that the Lord is good or that you've read about it somewhere that the Lord is good, but you've actually tasted the reality that the Lord is good and kind. And he's quoting from Psalm 34, which is a psalm he will quote later again in chapter 3. But Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. A few years ago, we went to a restaurant and the waitress brought us some free samples of quesadillas and fried mushrooms and cheese balls. Just for free. She didn't say, I want you to look at the pictures in the menu and see if they look good. And she didn't say, you could go online and read the description of these goodies um, on our webpage. She was saying, taste and see if they're good, which we did, and they were. But that's the word picture, taste. Don't just hear about it. Don't just read about it. Don't just talk about it. 
Taste it for yourself. And Peter's saying, if you are a believer this morning, you don't just know some things about the Lord because you heard it secondhand. You have firsthand personal experience of the Lord's goodness and kindness and grace in your life. Not only in saving you in the first place, but all your life since. Goodness, kindness, mercy, grace, following us all the days of our life. So if you have actually tasted the goodness of the Lord, as many of us have, then you are called to put away harmful things in your relationships with others in God's family and to pursue growth in your relationship with the Lord through his word. So that's how the pieces all fit together. But by saying, if you have tasted, Peter includes the possibility that maybe you haven't tasted the kindness of the Lord. You've heard about the Lord. You even know some things about him, but you don't have any personal experience of his grace because you don't have a personal relationship with him. And if God is showing you you are in that category, first acknowledge, I don't have a relationship with God. I am separated from him because of my sin. Isaiah 59 two says, your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Well, who's he talking about? Well, a few chapters earlier, he said in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. So everybody in this room, everybody in this world has gone away from God, done our own thing, and that's sin, and that breaks the relationship with God, so there's a separation or a barrier. And then, I can't establish or reestablish a relationship with God by anything I could do or offer. And so 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. We saw that in Sunday school this morning. We had the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how the Pharisee is boasting in, I do these good things and I don't do these bad things. And the tax collector's saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified, right in God's sight, and the other didn't. Not both of them went home because God justifies everybody, but the ones who cry out for his mercy and recognize, I have no merit to bring to the table. I have nothing to bring. And so I trust Christ alone to do everything necessary to rescue me from sin and restore me to God we will later get to 1 Peter 3.18, which says, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. In other words, the righteous one, the, the just one, in the place of or instead of as a substitute for the unjust. That's us. Why? So that he may bring us to God. So, That substitution had to take place. That barrier of sin had to be removed. Jesus took that on the cross. We sang about that this morning. Jesus paid it all. But it wasn't just so you'll feel forgiven, as wonderful as that is, but to bring you to God, to have this relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever. And so believe in Christ's death as the only way the barrier of your sin can be removed. Believe his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Two weeks from today, we'll be celebrating Easter this victory over sin and death and the grave. And the resurrection shows Jesus is all he says he is. If he stayed dead, then don't bother. 
But if he did rise and he put all his claim on that, like, by this you're going to know I am who I say I am. If I'm alive three days from now, basically, is what he said throughout the Gospels. And among other things, that means I can have a relationship with him now because he's alive now. We're not just talking about some person that lived 2,000 years ago and read about him. He's alive now, which means I can know him and taste for myself that he is good. Let's pray. So, Lord, I pray for anyone listening right now that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would flee to Jesus, cry for mercy, believe in his death and resurrection, be changed, changed forever. Anyone's a new, anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, new things come. And so, Lord, I pray for your mercy on those who don't know you yet. And for those of us who do, Lord, I pray that we would be growing. Lord, not just assuming we're growing or just thinking that, oh, we've been a Christian for a while now, maybe we must have grown. But Lord, that we would be very intentional about it, that we would seek to grow through your word. So Lord, incline our hearts to your word. We don't have the want to in ourselves. Our willpower is weak. Lord, give us a greater hunger and thirst for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.